people, here we are. We are back. Welcome to AKA Pads Audio Audacity Podcast. We're talking Star Wars. This is episode two of our giant Star Wars block. And look, we get into the nitty gritty. We're talking Empire of Dreams, the greatest Star Wars documentary ever made. And look, I had to break this up into three separate episodes. I wrote down 230 bits of information, wonderful points, wonderful tidbits for you to take away with you and drop those amazing geek bombs on your friends. So get ready. These are points, my notes, my bullet points, number 76 to 145, wrapping up the Star Wars block because a lot of this documentary, a bulk of this documentary is about Star Wars. Our next episode will go through Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi going right into my discussion with you about Star Wars and New Hope, the beginning of movies of the universe's greatest franchise ever created. This has Star Wars has stood the test of time unlike anything other. I'm excited. You've been listening to that intro music. Let's get into this episode and let's get it done welcome back welcome back welcome back that was a little bit of a ranting <laughs> intro look look here i just have to be clear my intent with this uh episode arc with these next three episodes or next these three <laughs> episodes about empire of dreams is to write, remind people of where star wars was at one point the enthusiasm and the, and, and the love and the, the appreciation and how between the media pushing everything around Star Wars, between the marketing engine, between uh, Lucas getting more embedded into the um, the minds of people of being like a creative genius, not saying he's not, but you know, Lucas rose to like a Walt Disney level post Empire Strikes Back. It wasn't until the late 90s and early 2000s where all of this stuff co- uh, coagulated and 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 solidified and 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 became something else there was such a level of enthusiasm that anything star wars got people excited because it brought things back and star wars um wasn't away long enough and it was never away long enough in the psyche of the culture and that is probably its most valuable contribution to Americana. It's not <laughs> the continuity. It's not any of these other uh, facets that people really attach themselves to. Star Wars is just about these loose ideas. And, and they're fun and they're fanciful. And they're imaginative and they inspire us. Now, you know, like the total loon that, you know, the people that Star Wars inspired period it's 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 epic and you know like you know we had a generation of creators i remember reading so many interviews in the 90s because i was a comic book junkie and i only read comic book magazines for a good stretch of my youth everyone interviewed that was breaking into comics at that point was inspired by star wars everyone their favorite movie was empire strikes back like every single one of these pencilers creators writers the list goes on and on but we're past that. And now Star Wars is postmodern. It's meta. And it has been deconstructed slowly. 
but the people who love Star Wars are the ones that kept it going. Now, again, the impact of a short film like Troops uh, it goes volumes beyond uh, what the special editions did. Okay, that's what sustained the, the franchise, and that's a little bit of the revelation I had when I just did my Terminator block, which is I feel like the people can come in and correct the Terminator franchise by, and and I feel like they should just give it away and let people do what they want with it. You know, like you know, and Star Wars and Lucas were very smart to do this at one time with the uh, Star Wars website. But look, look, moving on, let's get into these points. So, uh, just to recap real quick. Point seventy-five was what my outtake that uh, proved humans make Star Wars. <laughs> These people are not infallible, but it was a an outtake in this documentary where you saw like the boom mic come into frame, and it was pretty cool. So, look, Alan Ladd Jr. becomes head of creative of Fox. He champions George Lucas. Alan Ladd was essentially the only supporter of Lucas and Star Wars during. The production of that movie and the thing that's the the one amazing thing it's a you think everyone would be behind darth vader no <laughs> only two people like darth vader during the making of star wars it was george lucas and alan ladd jr and both of them needed vader to work okay so point 76 alan ladd jr clearly was the only supporter of George Lucas and Star Wars during the production. Point 77. Every single board meeting that Alan Ladd Jr. went to, Star Wars was the first topic. Uh, the studio started becoming paranoid about what was happening with this production. It's running too long. It's costing money. All this other stuff. Uh, 78. 77. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Number 78. Sorry, I, it, it might take me a little bit just to get the uh, get into a rhythm of doing these. I apologize. Number 78. Uh, there was a memo that Mark Hamill recounts about the Wookiee wearing pants. That's what the executives were worried about. And look, look this, is, this is corporate filmmaking. But at the end of the day, uh, corporations do a lot of good for movies. And they never get a fair shake. Because some of these people do know what they're doing. Number 79, board of directors of Fox started to panic. They wanted the film. They told Alan Ladd Jr., you need this film finished in one week. They gave him the ultimatum. Seven, uh, number 80, the board solution was to double the production. Double the production and get it done in a week regardless of the cost. Because missing the date was nothing now was more important than the cost so they were like spend more money but do not miss a date 81 uh george lucas was frantic to finish the movie he was bicycling between sound stages uh day and night to really get the shooting done on time 82 fox slated star wars for christmas 1976 difficult shooting put the film behind schedule so they they you know the film was behind relatively a year. 83. Lucas had to go from shooting to finishing with no break. Meaning he started editing, uh, laying in the sound effects, laying in all the extra stuff and really forming the movie. He had no break. Traditionally, there's a break at that point. But nope. <laughs> Not for Lucas. 
84. Lucas was shocked when he saw the first cut. He thought it was a disaster. <laughs> Number 85. Lucas was not happy and he started to edit the film himself. Okay. Number 86. Lucas realized his only hope was to start from scratch. Number 87. Lucas recruited Hirsch and Chu and Chu's wife, who was working with Scorsese on New York, New York, to re edit the movie. Number 88. The first task of the new editors was to put an energy into the movie. They felt like the movie needed a pace. Number 89. The team of three editors were able to work together faster. So they were in a incubation chamber and again, you know, probably little filter, little in little innovation. This is a creative uh, formula we see time and time again. Take note of that. That's very important. Uh, um, number, <laughs> I'm sorry, number ninety. Uh, the, a lot of the times when these people use the framing. Uh, of the shot or when they used the shot they used it up until the very end until Lucas announced uh, yelled cut because they um, you know they felt like the it, they were getting everything out of the usable footage because so little of the footage was us usable believe it or not when it comes to the type of film that they were envisioning okay so Fox at this point wanted to recalibrate the movie. They only like where we were. So they set a date for summer of 1977. Uh, this is when some of the editing started to come together. Number 92. Industrial Light and Magic spent one half of their budget figuring out the special effects. Zero special effects, one half of the budget spent. Number 93. When word hit Fox, they uh, when Fox got word that... Uh, the state of the movie even at this time fox wanted the entire movie shut down they were going to take a loss number 94 alan ladd jr was threatened to be removed from the building that day <laughs> and he fought and he stayed number 95 lucas feared uh lucas uh, nearly had a heart attack went to the hospital and had to reduce his stress level over Star Wars. He nearly killed himself. Okay. So a lot of you people out there. That think uh, you're not working hard enough. You're not. You're not. You're not. <laughs> you're not nearly killing yourself. 96. Lucas stepped in. To fix the special effects. He started to micromanage the special effects department. Stopping in twice a week. Industrial light. Number 97. Industrial light magic. Had to do a year's worth of work in six months. Number 98 storyboards would not uh, qualify as pre-visualizing what the special effects had to be. Uh, we started to see the birth of what became the animatic uh, storyboard, meaning the motion storyboard to uh, pre-visualize the movie even more accurately for the crew. Number 99. During winter, Star Wars started to take shape. So, you know, like we're, we're dealing, uh, you know, again, uh missing you know we're like one winter out now okay so one winter to another basically 100 ben burke spent a year building sound effects kind of left to his own devices and he started to the ben burke started to develop a, a uh, sound effect philosophy 
101, R2 was the most difficult to figure out when it comes to the sound effects. They, <laughs> they didn't know what they wanted to do with it. 102, R2 needed to sound alive and with personality. And they started to develop R2 into a childlike character, which, you know, he still maintained even going into the um, episodes 1, 2, and 3. 103, Vader breather. <laughs> the, 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 the Vader breath was a microphone at the bottom of a regulator in a scuba tank, and you would breathe into it, and that's, that's how they got the Vader. You know, again, very iconic. Uh, really became the symbol of Star Wars. Number 104, Vader's voice. At one time, you know, and this, this is quoted by James Earl Jones, was Orson Welles. And or uh, James Earl Jones feels like they didn't choose Orson Welles because he was too recognizable. 105, James Earl Jones was selected as the voice of Darth Vader. 106, C-3PO's voice. They honed in on that and they wanted him to be kind of like a, uh, a used car salesman. An over-the-top butler, nervous. Those were some of the directions. Uh, the, you know, like the direction period for the direction. <laughs> How many times can I say direction of C-3PO? I got that one out. Uh, over 30 actors auditioned for C-3PO. The Palma, no, 108, the Palma, Spielberg, okay, among others, came to look at an early assembly of Star Wars. So now we have more voices. We have sound effects. We do not have a Death Star run. Everyone but Spielberg thought this thing was a disaster. Spielberg still to this day on record of saying he loved it when he saw it. 109. Studio loved the movie when they saw it at this stage. So all the filmmakers hated it outside Spielberg. The executives loved it. 110. 110. One executive in particular cried during the showing. At this point, one of the biggest missing pieces, 111, the score was still missing at this point. 112, John Williams recently won an Oscar for Jaws. 113, Williams, a decorated composer, lost in space, was chosen. This guy had a background. He was chosen to compose Star Wars. This is the final missing piece, uh, the stroke of genius here. Um, it, part of the idea for the music uh, coming from Lucas and Williams was the music was going to be the emotional anchor of the movie. Still exists. Still exists to this day. I mean, the, the Rise of Star, the Skywalker trailers are embedded with that music and it still holds up. Amazing, amazing music. Maybe the greatest movie music of all time. Not particularly my favorite, but I'll say the greatest. One fifteen, March 1977. John Williams recorded the Star Wars music in 12 days. So you people think that, that think things take time? I beg to differ. 116, few things to exceed Lucas's expectations was the music. Everything else was a disaster initially in his eye. The music, fresh out of the gate. 117, the music defined conventional wisdom. At the, at the time, disco was huge. A symphonic score was was irregular, and now it's somewhat standard again. One eighteen, the trailer was cut while they were still working on the movie. One nineteen, the trailer 
<laughs> great line from the trailer aliens from a thousand worlds again like you know the marketers not seeing the movie not really know what they're selling uh another great line from the trailer 120 star wars a billion years in the making 121 fewer than 40 theaters decided to show star wars <laughs> 122 the other side of midnight is what theaters favor to show so the studio had to pair the two together to try and move Star Wars and get eyeballs in front of Star Wars. 123. Fox and Lucas brace themselves for the worst. 124. May 25th, 1977, Star Wars is released. 125. The opening shot, the most important. Everyone knew it had to sell the movie. Everyone put their maximum efforts into the opening shots, which is... The Star Destroyer chasing against Princess Leia in the blockade runner heading towards Tatooine, I guess, right? Or somewhere. I don't know where she was going. Maybe you do. Let me know. I'm just thinking about that. Where where the heck was Princess Leia going? 125. 126. Spielberg says he was dazzled when he saw the final version of Star Wars. 127, Hamill cites Star Wars as revolutionary, cites it as a work of genius. Hamill is correct. 128, Joe Johnson uh, told a wonderful story of when they were leaving the theater, people were asking him, a model builder, a drawler, a concept guy, for an autograph. Amazing. That's amazing. Today, the Marvel Studio guys aren't, they're huge on Instagram. They do regular autograph signings all the time. It's amazing. It's amazing that, um, you know, concept art artists are at that level now. They weren't. Joe Johnson could have been the first celebrity concept uh, creator coming through a movie. You now, not having success other places. I know, we got Ralph McGuire, but, you know, Joe Johnson could be it. Joe Johnson, too, also a heck of a filmmaker. 129. Star Wars is released in 37 theaters, only 37, and broke 37 house records. 130 lines and lines and lines of people were around the blocks. Yeah, the enthusiasm for Star Wars, all-time high. As of right now, we um, I did see a report of some people lining up for Rise of Skywalker. That's enlightened. You know, that's a very hopeful, pun intended. New hope. 131. The depression of the 70s, hopefulness. See, uh, the 70s brought this depression era of filmmaking, meaning the films were downbeat. We talked about this before. Star Wars, its clear hopefulness, space, fantasy, captured people's imaginations. 132, may the force with... (laughs) 132, may the force be with you, became a thing. People wore buttons. It was a way to signal to other people that you were Star Wars, that you saw the movie. You know, again, we're talking pre-internet people. 130, 133 changed everyone's lives that was involved. Everyone that, that was involved with Star Wars had opportunities after. You know, like, and we, and, you know, this is the thing I say about Michael Bay and the Transformer movies. You know, like, Michael Bay employed a lot of people for five Transformers movies, you know, he, 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 uh, signed a lot of paychecks, and he got a lot of people good Christmases, 
So that's one of the reasons why I like the Transformer movies so much. And the Face of Furious movies. They just employ a lot of people. Uh, let's see here. We're um, 134. Lucas is credited for reinvigorating Hollywood. You know, like he brought in a level of business that people thought were, were was unimaginable when it came to a movie. Now, comparatively speaking, and and with inflation, uh, you know, it's still not a gone with the level, you know, like level success. But you know, look, whatever. Yeah. One thirty-five. Fox. The Fox Studios stock price doubled when the figures came out for Star Wars. Everyone was money happy. One thirty-six. Fox. Their most successful year. They made thirty-seven million dollars. In nineteen seventy-seven, the profit of Star Wars alone was seventy-seven million dollars. One thirty-seven. Movie, huge across Europe. We, now we have a worldwide success. Alan Ladd Jr. I think I think Alan Ladd Jr. He sees the movie in Japan. One thirty-eight, and it's silence, silence. And he thinks it's going to bomb in Japan. He panics until he finds out that silence after a movie is a huge compliment from Japan. And I'm sure he was relieved after that. 139. Children started to adopt the movie. Again, you know, the, the initial people that made Star Wars Star Wars were adults. 140. We're five away. Lucas tried to license the movie for toys. Few successful, there was few successes when it comes to licensing. You know, licensing a movie uh, was not really a thing until Star Wars. Star Wars proved it otherwise. 141, Kenner signed a modest contract with Lucas. Uh, from Kenner's perspective, they were just making a, a colorful toy line with space things. Uh, you know, whatever. And they, they took a shot. And they won. Because <laughs> every other toy company passed Orange Star Wars. Kenner was just like, okay. 142. Uh, the early bird voucher box, now legendary, was available for Christmas 1977. This was an empty box campaign, meaning you bought an empty box and you had vouchers to go back to the toy store to get the figures to fill the box once they were released. 143. Uh, Carrie Fisher had a wonderful line where she said, uh, you know, she in this documentary, she says, you're not famous until your head is on the Pez dispenser. So very true. Uh, this past weekend, I bought a Thanos Pez dispenser for my work desk because I decorated with supervillains. And I uh, thought it was surreal to even buy a Thanos Pez dispenser. 1978 Academy Awards. Star Wars receives 10 nominations. 19, uh, 145, wrapping this up. I'm so sorry. You know, like, uh, reading these is not easy. I kind of, it's a good exercise, though. And wrapping it up, 145. Star Wars just about wins all the technical categories. Does not win Best Picture. Does not win any of the, like, uh, other nominations. But it wins the technical. And off the top of my head, I would say Annie Hall beats out Star Wars for Best Picture. And I would say rightfully so, because Annie Hall is a fantastic movie. And in my eyes, potentially more timeless than Star Wars. I know that's bl blasphemy. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a chunk of me that um, looks at Star Wars with a skunk eye nowadays. And, that, and that's only because 
it just never stopped. <laughs> Star Wars is exhausting. But look, look, everyone. Next episode, we're going to uh, episode 264. We're going to go through Empire Strikes Back and everything this documentary said about Return of the Jedi, um, which has now become my second favorite Star Wars movie. Um, Force Awakens is still my favorite. Uh, and again, not typical. Uh, why isn't Empire? We'll talk about that later. But look, look, thanks for hanging out with me. I love you. Let's do more Star Wars. I hope you're ready.